What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and the music is for the people. We at Rockstrikes 10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels, or hopefully by the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. Okay, still playing a little bit of catch up, but I'm slowly getting back on track with this actual calendar year. Uh, just a few days out, depending on who you ask, a few weeks or a few days out from this 50th anniversary that we got to stop down and pay tribute to. So this is a celebration, so leave all your drama, cute comments, and all your bullshit at the door because we are celebrating here on Rock Strikes 10 in my house, the debut album by KISS. So here's a quick how do you do for the uninitiated. Uh, the album is just called Kiss. It's one of those albums you know what the cover looks like even if you've never bought it or never even thought about buying it. The cover itself is kind of a cool, iconic tribute to the With slash Meet the Beatles album cover. So you, you got it in your head what it looks like at least. Uh, depending on who you ask, the album came out uh, either on the second or third week of February of 1974. Produced by Kenny Kerner and Richie Wise came out as basically one of the big launch albums for a newly fledging label called Casablanca Records, who initially were being distributed by Warner Brothers, which apparently, I'm not sure what the exact true story here is, according to different books and different articles and even different online articles, Casablanca was very loyal to Kiss and vice versa. So... Warner wasn't a big fan of Kiss and tried to change him. Supposedly, they tried to even get him to take the makeup off, and they were having none of this. So Warner quickly lost interest in their relationship with Casablanca. But ultimately, about a year and a half from this point on in 1974, they'd get the last laugh because they'd start selling records and they'd become big business. And Warner backed the wrong pony, for sure. Not not that they weren't doing that bad <laughs> throughout the... Uh, peak of the record industry sales warner did totally fine they made their money so at the end of the day neither party needed either party so uh, the album was recorded at bell sound studios in new york city a studio mostly known for cutting old r&b records throughout the 50s and 60s so yeah mostly known for early r&b and early rock and roll records uh, they'd closed down by the end of the decade of the 70s so they're not one of those heralded studios like electric lady or anything but a lot of cool stuff came out of that studio, including, of course, the first album by Kiss. And once again, in Exhibit A on why rock and roll as a whole 
and just the music industry as a whole should maybe go back into artist development because this album did not sell very well at all upon initial release. It would only eventually be certified gold and maybe even possibly platinum down the road after Kiss became famous and successful. And yeah, it would take about four releases for Kiss to actually start selling records and making money, but they proved to be a good investment. It's not like that anymore. And you could talk about Kiss, Aerosmith, Billy Joel, Elton John, all these classic iconic artists who benefited from artist development and labels not giving up on them. There's an argument to be made for that for sure. There's a little bit of the background right there. Let's get into this album. I'm going to do two episodes in a row here where we basically play all of the tracks from the debut album. And I'm going to do basically what I did for the Van Halen 1984 special and retrack it via mostly alternate takes and live settings and stuff like that. And then we'll do a bonus episode coming up after this one where I play all notable cover versions from this album. But let's go ahead and start off and have the band tell their story via a live setting. And basically I'm trying to go that extra mile as a fan. You know, I'm Kiss Army and Kiss Navy. And I'm going to pick some of my personal favorite versions of these in a live setting. So we're basically going to cover most all eras of the band, hopefully represent all the real members of the band and stuff like that. And if you heard my retrospective on the year 2003 last year, I talked about how the Symphony of Life 4 album, I, I think it's pretty damn underrated as a release and as just an event at this point. And... It also seemed like with Peter Chris being in the band that this song was also kind of a we must play this kind of thing. And if you saw Kiss on the last handful of tours, you never got to hear this song. And it's basically a staple of the band. And, and in my eye, probably a must play for like every show. I say this now because I miss it a lot in the live setting. And not even though they've hung it up at this point. But this song was definitely sorely missing throughout the last few years of the band. But we got it here on Rock Strikes 10, and this is via the Alive 4 Symphony Show in Melbourne, Australia, with the lineup of Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Tommy Thayer on the guitar, and Peter Chris on the drums. Peter has always said this is his favorite song to play when he's on stage with the band. So a good way to kick off the show here. Here is one of the last notable live performances of Strutter. Thank you. 
Definitely an all-time classic in the catalog of Kiss right there. That's one of those songs that even if you don't know a whole lot about Kiss, you probably know at least a little something about Strutter. So there you have it. Not their first single, by the way. A lot of people think that Strutter was the first single that the band ever put out, or maybe even something like Deuce. It was not. The first single ever released by the band was actually this next song, track two, on Kiss's debut album, and the song is called Nothing to Lose. And by the way, I still remember, by, here, here's a really, really obscure reference right here. Back in the 90s at some point, MTV, they had a very short-lived game show called Idiot Savants. And it was the great Craig Fitzsimmons that hosted it. And I basically described it as Remote Control meets Beat the Geeks. A really fun game show that should have done a lot better. And the idea was... You answer trivia questions, and you pick basically your major in pop culture. And I still remember a guy had picked Kiss. And whatever your major that you pick, at the end, if you go to the final round, the crack staff of writers come up with supposedly the hardest questions to answer as a fan of that particular thing. I still remember that the guy got to the end with the Kiss questions, and in the Kiss bonus round, they asked him what the first single was, and he got it wrong. He did not say nothing to lose. I think he said either Deuce or Strutter, which is a fair guess, of course. But yeah, I I still remember like yelling at the TV, being like, dummy. But yeah, anyway, that that one just came flying back to me on the fly. I don't make notes for this reason, because you miss out on stuff like this. Okay, so getting back to Nothing to Lose. I had a a semi-interesting journey with this song, because I am not old enough to have been around for the initial debut Kiss album. I was born in 79, and I became a Kiss fan in the mid-80s. I started to really hardcore collect them at the dawn of the 90s. So as I'm gobbling up all the cassettes, which thankfully at this point, they're all in that nice price thing, you know, the, the clearance bins and just the value area of the store. So it was decently easy for me to take a handful of dollars to the store each time and come up with a Kiss cassette. And it was random. I wasn't able to go in order just because of the randomness of the draw. 
But at some point, eventually, when I did get the Kiss tape, and this was definitely in about 1990, I had already heard Kiss Alive because I had a copy of it on cassette. I had copied a friend's version of it, and I played the shit out of it. So I was very familiar with the Alive versions, way more so than I was ever with the studio versions. So listening to the first three albums was really interesting to just be like, oh, okay, yeah, those sound very different than what they sound like on Alive, much more so, for sure. You know what I'm talking about if you're a fan. If you're not a fan, I'm just babbling. But the thing about Nothing to Lose is, for some reason, I guess in the Polygram Tape Vault or something like that, and I tried to look this up, you know, in this day and age of Reddit and all this information online, I tried to find out why this was, but if you bought Kiss on cassette and or the initial CD release, your version of Nothing to Lose was the Kiss Alive version of Nothing to Lose. And I went through that. I was like, huh. So this was always the version of the song. I had no idea that there was a studio version of Nothing to Lose uh, until like a few years after this. And I finally heard it at some point. And then finally the CD remasters came out. They righted the wrong and he got the original studio version on it. So I didn't really own that version until 95 or 96 or something like that. Uh, but there you have it. For years, I never heard the original version of this. And you're still not going to hear it here on this show. <laughs> I set that up weirdly, but I'm uh, just kind of just waxing about my history and my fandom and stuff like that. So I, I had played around with finding all these different versions and nothing to lose. There's, there's good live versions of it uh, on a lot of tours. You can find versions of Peter Chris singing it, of course. You can find versions of Eric Singer singing it. I'd always hoped that they would have at least done one tour with Eric Carr singing it so you could have all three drummers sing it and carry on that tradition. But it's okay. I, I just, maybe Nothing to Lose just wasn't the kind of song that they wanted to break out in the 80s. It's very much a 70s song. Uh, but what I have here, uh, after just going through every version that I had and just looking online to try to find fun versions... I decided, you know what, I'm making this way too hard on myself. Let's go with one of the ultimate versions of this song. And I think you know what I'm going to play here. So here is a super ultimate version from Kiss Unplugged that features the full original band and the full Revenge lineup band. So here is Gene, Paul, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Bruce Kulick, and Eric Singer all jamming on Nothing to Lose. Here you go. <laughs>
All right, nothing to lose right there. I love hearing those songs with all the two different lineups jamming right there. Unplugged was such magic. And just to hear Eric Singer and Peter Chris do co-lead vocals on that track, you can't get any better than that unless you go all the way back to like the original versions from the initial tours of them playing Nothing to Lose, like the version on Kiss Alive. I assume that the prankster that worked in the Polygram library that inserted the live version of Nothing to Lose on the cassette and CD initially really preferred that version a lot. I'm going to go with that because I did hear some stories, not confirmed that it was some sort of malicious mailroom, like tape library person that did all that. But speaking of those initial tours, we're going to go back to the song Firehouse, track three on the album. Definitely a song like Strutter that made most tours, uh, most Kiss tours included Firehouse. It's one of the things that gets brought up when people talk about what the best album is in the overall Kiss catalog. This first album gets brought up quite a bit and it usually makes people's top five. And the argument people usually lean on is most of this album has been played live on a consistent basis. And that definitely holds true for Firehouse. For the longest time, it was Gene Simmons' fire-breathing song, which got switched over the last few tours to War Machine, which started up them doing that in the 80s for sure when they weren't playing Firehouse much anymore. But Firehouse never strayed too far from the band. It was always around and always a fun tune as well. And I assume that the band Firehouse just lifted its name from the Kiss song. I always just assume that. I don't know if I've ever heard that confirmed or not, but I feel like there's definitely a missed opportunity that they never covered that song in their day. But anyway, that all being said, let's get to the live version that I'm going to use to represent the song Firehouse as we pay tribute to the first Kiss album in its 50th anniversary here is basically, in a sense, raw audio from Kiss Alive, uh, untouched, and from the original recording, uh, April Fool's Day, 75, in Cleveland, Ohio, at the Agora Ballroom. Cleveland was one of the three or four stops that they used to record for Alive. I believe it's three stops. It's like Detroit, Davenport, Iowa, and Cleveland, if I'm not mistaken, and maybe some other place. But yeah, this is from the Cleveland show on April Fool's Day. So here's a really, really cool live version of Firehouse.
All right. Get the Firehouse. There you go. Firehouse Live from Cleveland. One of the stops on the recording of Alive One. And I mentioned that one of the cities they recorded for Alive was one of their first big cities that broke through for them. And that was, of course, Detroit, Michigan. And about a decade later, in 1984, on the Animalized Tour, they made a stop in that area. And in, in that night, they named Bruce Kulick an official member for the very first time, even though he had been on most of the Animalized Tour, something for Mark St. John. But as far as I know, the Detroit show for Animalize was the first official night for Bruce Kulick. They were recording the show on the radio, and they recorded for what would become Animalize Live Uncensored, the home video, which was originally an MTV concert special. So this was a big show for them, and, and like a lot of KISS fans, I watched the shit out of Animalize Live Uncensored. Such a great show. If you've never seen it, even if you are not a big KISS fan, you should go watch it. The performance is astounding. They're just on point. There's a lot of energy in that show. And the other thing that I, I like about it, actually, is there's a lot of songs in it. And that's because, especially when they go with their older songs, just to kind of keep the flow of some of the stuff they've been doing lately at that point in the early 80s, they definitely speed up all of the old songs. And they're just like, they might as well have the Ramones play these Kiss songs. They're playing them so goddamn fast, but it's great. And here's an example of that, taking a song like Cold Gin and just like speeding it the hell up like massively and of course i love the original i love the way it's played originally i love the way it sounds on kiss alive but i do love these versions as well so let's do it why don't we so from animalize live uncensored and the animalize tour here is gene paul bruce kulik and eric carr doing a killer version of cold gin and just to be a little extra redundant i'm going to have paul introduce the song once again here you go That can drink a little bit of alcohol. And when you're down in the dumps and you need something to bring you up, there's only one drink that's going to do it for you. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. 
All right. Definitely cold gen time again when you hear a version so full of energy as that one right there. Much has been said, by the way, over the years at the lack of Gene Simmons' involvement in the band throughout the 80s. And while that was definitely true offstage, it was definitely not the case on stage because Gene sounds so good on that version. He's singing his ass off, clearly. And I think he sounded great on all the 80s tours. So he was like, yeah, I certainly did the tours. And yeah, at least he didn't mail it in there. So there you go. Let's give it up for Gene Simmons on that track for sure. Okay, simple enough, this next song. The closer on the A side is a song called Let Me Know. This song has one of the longest histories in the band. Supposedly, this was the first original that Gene and Paul collaborated on together, so it's an important song in history. And really, it was a song that would only make the first handful of tours that the band ever did. After that, they never played it ever, ever, ever again, and the only times they ever played it was during the Kiss conventions, where they would go unplugged. And they never played it on the actual Unplugged show. And like I said, pretty much after the Dress to Kill and Alive tours, they never would play it ever again. And there's still a good amount of versions of this song out there to be had. But instead of pulling a song off of a tried and true bootleg or soundboard recording, I'm going to go with this one because I really do love this version. I actually love all of the bonus tracks on the You Wanted the Best compilation And if you take the company line on this, the band said that all of the initial bonus tracks on You Wanted the Best were definitely recorded from the original Alive recordings. And when it came out, any fan that had eardrums were like, these sound like they were recorded just a few weeks ago. I I think it's a little bit of both. I think they definitely took some of the tracks from the performances. And I definitely think that Paul re-sang everything on there. And perhaps Gene did too, but it definitely sounds like Paul Reese sang it. Because if you're like big fanboys of the band, you know what, how these guys sang and sounded like on stage at different points in their career. But that all being said, I really like the supposed, quote, Alive One outtakes on You Wanted the Best. I think they're a lot of fun. At least if they're going to resell us some material back when the reunion first started to get hot, they could at least give us something that we've never had before. So I'm fine with it, honestly. Was that album a cash grab? Yes, of course it was, but... I'll take the bonus tracks any way I can get them. And unlike the studio album, the live version of Let Me Know has definitely a different arrangement to it uh, because it doesn't do that little outro bit at the end of it that the studio version does. So the live version is definitely quite a bit different, especially towards the end. It's a lot of fun, so check it out. Here's a really fun, let's say half live, half studio version of Let Me Know. Enjoy.
All right, there you have it. Live version, basically a live version of Let Me Know right there from the one of the best, you got the best compilation from 1996. Hope you enjoyed that. And I'm going to do something right off the top here with this particular next song. And I'm going to ask for the same kind of forgiveness on part two as well, because I've got two different songs to play on these two different episodes. And let's just say the sound quality very much leaves a lot to be desired. But for the purpose of inclusion and making this a proper track listing, you're going to have to forgive me a little bit. Feel free to fast forward if you have to, if it just grains on your ears. But I do need to include it if I'm going to do the complete album. So let's talk about Kissin' Time. If you're not a fan of this band, I'll make this brief. Kissin' Time was a song that was brought to the band by... Neil Bogart of Casablanca Records, the president, and he wanted the band to cover this song. It's a Bobby Rydell song from either, I think it's the late 50s or early 60s for sure. And it's just one of those fun, dumb, stupid bubblegum songs. I have no issue with it. Believe it or not, I think the band actually thought this song was a little too gimmicky for him, or at least they thought the song was too cheesy for him. To where a lot of people just hearing that story would be like, really guys? But if you listen to the song versus everything else on this first Kiss album, you could see where they were coming from with that. But reluctantly, they decided to go ahead and record the song. And maybe at the time they thought it would just be a single only release. But then Neil Bogart actually inserted it into the album for its second pressing. Uh, If you only have the first pressing of the first Kiss album... It does not have Kiss and Time on it. If you bought it afterwards, then you have the version with Kiss and Time on it. It'll kick off side two if you do. So it makes the version with less songs more rare and more collectible. By the way, thanks to my good buddy Steve, I actually own a copy of that without Kiss and Time. It's definitely one of my prized possessions. And yes, I do play it, actually. It's weird to not hear it on there when I play it, but it's still really neat in a sense. So by saying all that, because of all that, Kiss never committed to playing this song live on principle. And yeah, they get requests to do it like during the unplugged shows from the convention. And I remember seeing them attempt to do it. Uh, Even then, they didn't really go through with it too much. I've heard a lot of versions of them trying to do it, but they just kind of like, ah, fuck it. And they just give up on it. But at some point when they were doing shows in 06 and they had gone over to Japan in order to make it just a little extra special, they decided to actually play Kiss and Time live in these series of shows. I think maybe even this show might have been the one and only time without looking it up online. Uh, maybe they did it a couple of more times. So definitely holds one of the records for least performed songs in all the tours, for songs that ever actually were played. So according to the clip I pulled, this took place on July 20th of 2006 with the last lineup of the band, Gene, Paul, Tommy Thayer, and Eric Singer. And they're playing Kissin' Time in Fukuoka, Japan, if I'm even saying that right. Uh, So yeah, the audio quality is not great, but it's a bit of history. So here's a very rare time that Kiss actually played Kissin' Time live. So here you go. Hope you enjoy. And definitely stay tuned because we got Deuce coming up and you don't want to miss that. Okay, here's Kissing Time. This is called Kissing Time. Yeah. 
Okay, there you have it. Kissing Time right there from Fukuoka, Japan, 2006. Apparently not any time is a good time for Kissing Time. Apparently it's only time in the summer of 06. But that all being said, let's get to one of the all-timers by Kiss right here. And I wasn't going to be cute with this one at all. I was like, I'm such a big fan of Alive 3. I'm just going to play the Alive 3 version because that one really jams. But I actually went a little different for it because this one kind of fell in my lap. I was reminded of this. I had this uh, somewhere. It's still in the vaults. I have this somewhere on VHS. But thanks to YouTube right here, I was able to pull the clip and get a nice high quality version of it. And when the band was out promoting a live three, they did a bunch of crazy random appearances. One of the easier ones to track down is when they were on the Arsenio Hall show. And the interview is terrible because Arsenio is a terrible interviewer. But I did actually like his show because he always had good guests, including great bands and always had a decent amount of good random movie stars and TV stars on there. But yes, mostly I would just tune in for the music. And him having Kiss on there, that was a big deal for me, of course. And I rolled tape on it and they went up there. They played Detroit Rock City. Then he came out and interviewed him for a little bit. And then they came out and did one more song and it was deuce and it freaking ruled so here you go from the arsenio hall show sometime in may of 1993 here is well i'll just have arsenio introduce it here you go deuce kiss go Feeling 
great version right there kiss and by kiss i mean gene simmons paul stanley bruce kulik and eric singer the revenge lineup doing some promotional right there on the arsenio hall show for a live three i love that period of the band they're doing a lot of great fan service at that point and i was definitely at the height of my fandom at that point for sure so yeah of course can't go wrong with that era for me and we get to a song that If they hadn't put this box set out back in 2001, this would have been a complicated entry or I would have had to double down on a different song, which there's options for that. May get into that on the next episode. But right here, talking about love theme from Kiss, which, uh, you know, a quick little instrumental on the album, about two minutes or so. So it's not too much of a cheat, I don't think, because I think this is kind of cool. They used to play this song in a different form in a live setting prior to the first album coming out. Uh, And back before they put out their first album, they had a song called Acrobat, which the germ of the riff of Love Theme from Kiss was this song. So it's quite a different song uh, under the original name, title, and arrangement. But I'm using this as the live entry here for Love Theme from Kiss here on my Kiss show because it's my show. So here is the earliest version of Love Theme from Kiss, played live by the band under the name Acrobat. Enjoy.
there you go the original version of love theme from kiss called acrobat uh some places online they'll call the song much too young and i've seen that appear on different old kiss set lists too but call it what you want still a cool little jam right there and for me very surprising that they just went with that whole condensed love theme version Uh, but hey you know whatever it has the luxury of not being the oddball on the record because of the whole kissing time history but yeah all right And the last two songs on the first Kiss album are just all-timers. They're some of the heaviest songs the band's ever done, especially if you go see them in a live setting. These songs really do set it off. And talking about 100,000 Years and Black Diamond. So we're going to have some fun with these for sure. You can't beat these songs in a live setting. Uh, I was initially trying to find a nice quality version of them playing 100,000 Years from one of those couple hall shows, like in 75, 76. Cause like, man, they sound really good on those. But in doing that, I found a really nice quality version of them playing this in San Francisco in 1974 on the Hotter Than Hell tour. And if you're a big fan of the band, you know that's the, the cool-looking black-and-white show they did early on. One of the earliest full shows that they have professionally recorded. So, yeah, it's always fun to go back and watch that one. And, man, just listening to the version of 100,000 Years again uh, from this particular performance, it's like, yeah, I, I got to put that one on here so you can all hear it. And even though I decently celebrate all eras of the band and all lineups and everything like that, and I, I don't like the tribalistic fans, I don't think it's a necessary thing. But I got to say, and I don't think I'm being like that in saying this, 
There's nothing like hearing this song especially performed by the original band. They just are locked in. It's just one of those songs, man. And I've heard it with the other lineups and everything, and it's cool and everything. I don't mind ever hearing it, but it definitely just hits different with the original lineup. Further proof right here. Here is that live version from 1974 in San Francisco. Here is 100,000 Years.
How many people here tonight believe in rock and roll? There you go, a nice killer epic jam of 100,000 years right there. Nearly 10 minutes, but 
could have gone on for another 10 as far as I'm concerned. But there you go. Hope you enjoyed that. And as we get to the end of the album here, the first Kiss album, we got one more to go. And as I mentioned, it's Black Diamond, one of the all-time Kiss classics. Uh, I was lucky enough to catch a really, really great rendition of this back right after uh, myself and my better half, Nolan, when we got married out in Vegas. And we tied it into the Kiss residency out there for sure. Had a great, great time. Some of the last truly great KISS shows happened out there at the Vegas shows as far as I'm concerned so glad to be a part of it so there's a good chance I was at this particular performance but you can't tell because you know it was like a run of shows it was a residency so I'd like to think that we were there for this particular recording but who knows I'll just go ahead and say we were we were there yeah we were there we were definitely there there for sure and I'm maybe on the video somewhere as far as I know but yes if you claim to be a fan of this band and you haven't seen the Kiss Rocks Vegas show, go watch it. It is tremendous. Even went to see that one in the theater. I've seen actually a lot of Kiss concerts in a movie theater. Uh, I always made a point to go to DVD releases and stuff like that. And when they did the same thing for Kiss Rocks Vegas, I was there. It's an underrated experience going to see a concert in a theater. It, yeah, it's different, but it's also pretty cool, actually. Uh, but yeah, just because of the special reasoning behind it, but also it is a killer performance. Uh, they sounded so great during the residency. Got to go with this one right here. And it's always a tradition for every drummer to sing Black Diamond. And of course, with Eric Singer being in the band and being a good singer, it's no exception. And so here you go. Here's a really awesome version of Black Diamond with the last lineup of Kiss. And away we go. Take it away, Paul. sing with us, I'll go like this. Out on the street for a living, pictures only begun, you go, Can you do that? All right. 
Yeah, ever since I heard them do that cool melodic type outro on Animalized Life Uncensored, that's always been my favorite way to do Black Diamond. So yeah, love that alternate outro right there. But yes, that was Gene Paul, Tommy Thayer, and Eric Singer in Las Vegas in 2014. Yeah, that's been 10 years now, by the way. Uh, which means I've got an anniversary, a big one coming up soon at the end of the year. But yes, that was Kiss with Black Diamond from Kiss Rocks Vegas. I hope I did a good enough job representing all the different lineups of the band. I wanted to give equal time to everybody, but it's it's rather difficult if you really have to map it out that hardcore. But plan on celebrating this album just a bit more. We've got one more episode. I'm going to retract the album again, and we're going to find significant covers for all of these songs or at least I'm going to try. Will I pull it off? Well, you're going to have to stay tuned. Till then, stay tuned for my aforementioned Better Half Nola with the plugs and followed by the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business. Take it away, Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, we give our cats Ruby and Ripley a treat. We are on Twitter at RockStrikes10, and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have RockStrikes10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high-quality, soft-as-heck, next-level branded shirt and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going all the way back to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out some of these other quality shows. The Wrestling House Show, a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris, where cinema's trash is treated like treasure. And the I Am Vinyl Podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. We also highly recommend that you check out our good friend Mark Striegel, who can now be heard exclusively on SiriusXM as part of Ozzy's Boneyard and Hair Nation. Last, but certainly not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent ya. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun.
post-game show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it.